Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It's going well. I'm feeling good. Uh, you know, we have a guest today, though, that is that really makes me feel like I'm not very good at this whole consummate athlete idea that I that I sort of am the proponent of. Okay, yeah, this this is true. I feel like we're like, ah, oh, yes, we do yoga and some strength and like also run and ride. Sometimes I ride a road bike instead of a mountain bike, yeah. And then we have Ryan Atkins. So yeah, I wanted to get right into it today because this is a, a big episode, I think. Uh, we have Ryan Atkins uh, back for I the think, second time. Yeah, back on. I don't even know if people can find our first episode. Yeah. We're talking like 200 plus episodes Maybe ago. one of the first five or six, maybe? Yeah, he yeah. was one of our first guests. Which I mean is for a reason. He is a consummate athlete. He is, if you don't know Ryan Atkins, uh, you could know him from any different part of his life or sport that he's done. You know, he I know him through mountain biking. He raced mountain bikes at a, a pretty high level but if you knew him in his younger days you might know him as a unicycling world champion uh and more recently you might know him as a you know fastest known time you know of any variety of trails anywhere in the world you might know him as the spartan world champion winning a 24-hour you know mud run you know obstacle course race you might know him as uh you know someone who's held a everesting on foot record you might know him as someone who's done the Sum seven summits challenge uh summiting the height of all the highest mountains in the world i guess uh and then also he was on you can watch him on amazon prime on the eco challenge did you forget the iditarod we haven't even got there yet that's what i mean <laughs> this is a long list of palmares and they're all sort of different uh also, so, so yeah just, you have to watch the eco challenge can we just pause and talk about the unicycling i deeply appreciate like that as a as a teenager he was like huh like what could i be world champion of and unicycling was I, th I don't think that's how he'd describe it. I think he'd say he probably just liked unicycling and, and just practiced a lot. Um, and, and that's the vibe I get from Ryan, you know, having known him for a long time is, you know, he gets into something and he, he practices it a lot and he's found a really good niche for himself. I'm glad he went away from mountain biking and, uh, you know, pursued this whole world of sort of I don't know if you call it even, it's not multi-sport because it's so much bigger. Uh, and we talk about that. He, he had a string of months here in the last year where he was, I think in Abu Dhabi for a obstacle course race. So very, very hot. Uh, and then subsequently went to Alaska and did the Iditarod, you know, fat bike across Alaska for hundreds of miles race in the short time. So we talk about just the demands of that and how you get ready for that and, and the mindset required for that. And I think that last piece, the mindset is, is probably the, his big advantage really. Yeah. No, I'm super excited about this. We also definitely have to have his wife, uh, Lindsay Webster, who is also a world champion obstacle course racer back on the podcast. Another one that you should probably go back and listen to if you want to be embarrassed by how bad we are at interviewing and how awkward we are at podcasting way back when. Um, but yeah, these I'd say Ryan and Lindsay were two of my favorite guests, even from from way early on. And I'm, I'm super excited to hear how the, the last four years now has has treated Ryan and what he's been up to. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, these elite stories, you know, these are elite consummate athletes, but I think they are inspiring, you know, when you watch their training, you know, there's a little bit of running, a little bit of cycling and, you know, some strength training thrown in there. Uh, you know, Lindsay talks a bit about the grip strength work that she does because there's so much hanging and climbing and that sort of stuff. Um, but, you know, it's not that they, 
are you know <laughs> always doing super specific training because these are such varied demands. So I think it it is sort of a, a motivating thing because it does show us that we can do a lot with our our, our strength routine and and with a bit of cardio. Mm-hmm. Love it, awesome. And before we get into this episode, we just want to take a quick break and take a word from our sponsor, Athletic Greens. You've heard us talking about AG One for the last couple months here, and. Uh, we've actually been taking the AG1 supplement for a few months now. And I have to say, I'll be honest, you know, we'd heard about AG1 Athletic Greens on a bunch of podcasts over the years. I was like a little skeptical. I was like, ah, how, how much different from like the, the regular greens powders that I've tried in the past can it be? And I think the one thing I, I haven't really touched on when we've talked about it before is actually how good it tastes, uh, which is a weird thing to kind of lead with. But I have gotten a couple questions. I'm like, what does it actually taste like? And they call it a mild tropical flavor. But do you think it has like a hint of vanilla to it? I don't taste vanilla, but uh, minty maybe, but not 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 because you don't like mint no. and, and you do like it. So yeah, so it, it is good versus a lot of these greens powders taste, you know, not, not even like kale, right? Like aged kale or something. So <laughs> <laughs> I'd call it papaya with a whiff of vanilla if I had to... And I mean, uh, ultimately, I, I tend to think, you know, we're not necessarily taking this stuff, you know, it's the medicine, it, it doesn't even it shouldn't or it doesn't need to taste uh, good. But you know, it, it's a bonus when it does. Uh, but we are looking for something that, you know, has that NSF rating, something that has what's, you know, whatever they say is in it is in it, uh, and not nothing else, yeah, right? and, nothing extra. And what is in it is 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods or superfood probiotics and adaptogens. Uh, to me, honestly, the vitamins and minerals are sort of the, the big part here. So you know, it can replace your your daily multivitamin, uh, which I think is is super helpful to not have to take a billion supplements. I think most people still think of AG1 as just a greens thing, but it's actually so much more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's food source. So that's that's a pro as well. It's, you know, not super high, uh, you know, doses of these things, which is where you can get into trouble uh, with some of these multivitamins. And then the other piece I like for clients who are, you know, into the supplements and like researching them is that, you know, if we can just find one thing that we believe in, uh, you know, that's good quality and go with that. Sometimes it it pulls back some of that anxiety or that, uh, you know, even just the time that we spend researching, you know, quote unquote, researching on the internet uh, to find, uh, you know, the supplement. Yeah, for sure. Uh, also, just super, super handy for travel. The days you can't get those nice greens in with your breakfast. Yeah, we might lunch. not. We might all be traveling from Abu Dhabi to Alaska, yeah. but you know, travel. People are out going to races, and you know, business trips is big now with with clients where they're you know at a, a conference for four or five days, and they're you know eating a coffee for breakfast, and then maybe waiting for dinner out wining and dining people, right? So that's I think a, a perfect case uh, where this this would be a great thing to add to the day, just to try and keep things on track and and remind yourself of health. Yeah, I'm actually really excited. I'm going to California for a Western States training camp. I'm pacing a friend, not racing Western States, uh, but we're going out for a training camp. And I'm I'm excited to be able to bring it because I, I am very sure that staying at the Super 8 uh, and running, you know, 20 plus miles a day for five days, we're not going to be eating the highest well, you've, quality you've, you've uh, already veggies. Cla- you've already said that a certain California-based uh, fast food burger joint is right by the, the right house. We're right by so. In-N-Out Burger. So, yeah, free yeah. shout out to In-N-Out Burger. <laughs> I guess. I mean, or, or not. I guess depending on how you read it, but uh, yeah, yeah. It'll be, so it'll be good to have that along. Perfect example. 
Yeah. Anyway, uh, if you want to try it out to make it easy, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs. So bonus, your next trip is covered uh, with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash Molly H. We decided to do that because consummate athlete is way too hard to spell very quickly, and it's a very long URL. So athleticgreens.com backslash Molly H to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right. So with that said, let's dive into this podcast with Ryan Atkins. Enjoy. I'm here. I'm welcoming back Ryan Atkins, the Atkins diet on Instagram, which is one of the best handles I've seen. Uh, welcome back, <laughs> sir. Yeah, thanks. Good to uh, good to see you. You're a tough guy to nail down because you're traveling so much to these different events, uh, but you are back in, in Quebec now. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really stoked to be home. Um, going out for a ride with some uh, some local guys after this, and we can actually we're actually crossing the border on our ride, which is something that we uh, you know has been taken away from us for a long time. So. Now this is the the U.S. border. Yeah, yeah, I'm only about ten or fifteen k from the from oh, the U.S. Nice. border in Vermont. So um, do you do something on there. the other side, or is this very much like an around the pole type ride? Yeah, you know, just go down there ride over like Jay Peak and come back kind of thing, just kind of mix it up. Sounds cool. Sounds cool. Now I wanted to have you back. Uh, you were one of our first episodes way, way back. This is years ago, five years ago, maybe even more. So a lot's <laughs> happened since then. Like, I don't know, you were not new to obstacle course racing at that time, but it, newer than you are now. Um, so what's changed in the world of obstacle course racing over the last five years, you know, pandemic accepted, like what's, is it, is it, where is it today? Yeah. I mean, a lot of things have changed and a lot of things have stayed the same. Um, I guess back then I would have been doing a lot of the uh, battle frog races, which was a different um, brand. So now they've kind of gone under uh, Spartan race, bought tough mutter. So um, they're kind of like the big dog, I guess, when it comes to um, events and whatnot. Uh, Spartan has tried to kind of like, um, make their events more uniform so the obstacles are kind of more consistent and I don't know if that's in the hopes of uh trying to make it like an Olympic sport eventually I know that that's like one of the end goals um or if that's just try to trying to give people a more consistent product so um unfortunately for like the elite athletes that means the races have gotten a little uh less dynamic and more predictable and and I'm always complaining and like comparing it to mountain biking where I'm like oh like the courses that like have gotten harder and like people love it because like, you know, there's like a differentiation between people who can, you know, ride the more technical sections a few seconds quicker. And like, it makes the race more fun to watch. And it makes like people have kind of like a, a horse in the game where they're like, I'm a good technical rider. So I'm going to cheer for this guy who's like amazing at technical, but you know, might lose a second on the climbs and stuff like that. So, I mean, I'm, I'm always singing that song that's starting to try to make you know, heavier carries, harder obstacles. Because um, as it is, it's just becoming, it's becoming just more of a, of like a running race with like obstacles that kind of slow people down a little bit. And there's still like, there's still people who are better and worse at them. But um, mm -hmm. now it's becoming just more like, what's your 5k time? Okay. Like, <laughs> so. Well, and is there less problem solving then? Like I, I always interpreted that like it would be you'd come I, I some of them you could pre like investigate but some of them too it was like you'd have to come upon something and be like how do I solve this yeah totally um 
yeah, it's almost like on-siting and planning. It's kind of, it used to be where you could expect, you know, a new obstacle or two, um, especially at major races. And then you'd have to run up and figure out how to do it, which is a really cool element. Um, but now it's all just, all the, like, we know exactly all the obstacles. Everything is like to the inch, the same distance apart and things oh, really? like that. So that's kind and, of. And so it, that's interesting. So it's not even like different monkey bar spacing or, or anything no. like that? yeah no it's like basically all the same um what a, so i didn't realize that so you're saying that it's like obstacle x is a monkey bar set you know that is this tall and this long yeah huh. yeah totally and they're even gone one step further and so now they have like it's called they have like different modes so like for this the shorter races they'll have like easier obstacles that kind of like line up with the distance and then the longer races they'll like just attach you know hard things that are harder to grab onto mm. or whatever um but it's like it's so minor. It's like, it <laughs> doesn't really change. So I know, I think you, I, I, I've listened to a few of your things about that. Um, and I, I think I, Lindsay said your wife, who's also been on the show and is very accomplished in obstacle course racing and beyond. Uh, she said something that she, a lot of her training is just like trail running, basically with a bit of grip training, like hang training. But yep. then I saw a video of you and you like ran and grabbed one of these sort of like ball hanging ball obstacles and skipped three of them and then swam. So I guess my question is, that's not just hangboarding. Like is, where does that come from that, you know, I'm going to skip these two and hang, you know, is it just cause you've done so many that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at this point, like we've been racing for seven or eight years and um, I guess like any skill you get better at it. And after a while, once you've like developed that skill, it's just like maintenance. Um, so like having the grip to be able to do it. And then if you race once a month or so, it's like enough repetition that you can kind of like keep that edge, hmm. I guess. Um, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's it. The, the specificity, like doing the race also exposes you to these things. So yeah. 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 So for me, like, uh, like a more useful workout instead of just like having the exact obstacle and like doing that would be to just like I'd, i'll do like a really hard interval and then i'll finish with like 10 pull-ups and then i'll like then i'll do my like recovery and then or i'll just like kind of like run um threshold and then i'll do like yeah five or ten pull-ups and then like straight back in the threshold which i find more beneficial because it's like teaching your body to like switch um like just muscle groups and then sure. like that coordination while you're kind of like tapped out. Uh, and then when I get to an obstacle, it can be anything, but I have that like um, familiarity with like operating in different ways when I'm like at my limit. So that's kind of like what I'll do. You know how they're more popular in Europe. Quebec has some of these too, you know, like I call them like agility courses, but it's, that's not what I mean. Like it's, you know, like a 5k or not even like a 1k loop maybe. And then every what would it be? Yeah. hundred meters. There's like, you know, leg lift. It's always yeah. the most oh, yeah. comical exercise. <laughs> do people set that up? Like maybe not you, I don't know if you necessarily do that, but that strikes me as like, that would be where it'd be like run for a hundred meters as hard as you can. And then like monkey bars. And then, you know, do people yeah. do that? Like, do they set up courses? I guess that's all your, the races sort of are those, aren't they? Yeah. 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 I mean, that same kind of idea. Um, yeah. I know exactly the things that you, that you mean i but saw one the other day it was just like a bench and it was like dips <laughs> it's yeah. always yeah some of them are like this is a pull-up bar and you're like okay well that's a great idea like i'm always i try and use them when we run by them or even when i yeah. ride by them i try and 
there's a couple of the ski hills have them for the ski hill team. So in the summer when we're right. running, I'll like, yeah, I'm, yeah, 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 I can do two. I'm like, I'm yeah. never going to be a good obstacle course. <laughs> um, where was I going with that though? Um, but people don't set up courses like that per se. Yeah, they do. Um, I guess it's kind of like more, I'd say more people who are like beginning in the sport would, um, would do that. Cause yeah, it can be, it can be useful and, uh, good practice it's good like kind of like transitional training but i guess um it's just like how most i guess cyclists just like ride a lot they're not like putting down cones and like practicing their corners in like a slalom course um even though like maybe that could be beneficial for some like road professional road cyclists but um well, or even they're not racing. They don't do the exact you know they exactly a big group all the time (laughs) and just race as hard as they can yeah Uh, totally you know, on a criterium course or something like yeah. that, right? A criterium racer or something like that would be, or a track racer would be the better example. Like they're on the road, probably 95 plus percent of the yeah. time. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, one of the reasons that uh, it's funny, you, you came back on the radar in a few different ways here because you decided to do the Iditarod, which is, uh, you did the 350 mile version. Yeah. 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 Uh, in two days and eight hours so this is in alaska you rode Mm -hmm. 350 miles on a fat bike in the winter i should say Mm -hmm. in in, and you rode for essentially two days and eight hours so yeah yeah (laughs) why did an obstacle course racer decide to go to alaska in the winter to to do this this race yeah that's a good question i think that i don't know when that race kind of came on my radar it might have been i think it was many years ago I think someone gave me a book of like the, you know, the 10 most epic races in the world or something. And that was probably on the list. And so it kind of like implanted itself in the back of my mind. And I thought, Oh, that'd be really cool. Um, and then every year I've always had to like not do it because, uh, cause I have prior events or races or, um, training, things like that. So on this year, like after we kind of like came out of COVID quote unquote, which I realized we're still kind of doing, um, I was like life's too short to not do these like thing these like i guess cliche to say like bucket list sure things yeah. that i'm like i really something about it like appeals to my psyche and i think it's going to be a, an awesome challenge and a lot of fun and it's like a foreign environment um and it has like that historical aspect uh of the Iditarod trail um so just a lot of elements to it sure. which uh yeah so i figured why not go do it this is the longest race you've done by a lot. You've done 24 hour obstacle course races. Um, yeah. Have you done anything else of the, Oh, you, you did a, you've done a lot I of did, adventure. I apologize. You've also done adventure. Yeah, I did. So. I did eco challenge, which was seven days for our team. So that was, was like it, the was longest. That, the one that's, that one was seven days. The one that was on, this is on Amazon. I, yeah. I'll put a link to that. Yeah, too. Yeah. It was great. You guys weren't on it nearly enough for my no. liking. It's like uh, classic TV show. Yeah, well, but... I said it was the best example of you guys weren't in the lead. You, you <laughs> almost got to lead right at the end, which was, yeah. you should have been dramatic, but then you weren't at the back, like being just yeah. like, you know, having all these issues. You guys you just were proficient and paced. Yeah. And I was like, this yeah, is why totally. you can't be in the middle on things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I will whatever. link to that though. So yeah. So you've done much longer and you guys, did you sleep during the, the so you must yeah, have done seven days. During Eco Challenge, we slept the sleep was really weird for that because there was actually like a, a dark 
period in the course when there is flash flooding and they shut the whole course down for like one evening. So I think it was only a day into the race. We ended up sleeping for like seven hours or six hours. And then after that, we like, I think the next four days we slept for like 20 minutes. And then it was like, so it was kind of just really mixed up sleep. So I think in total, we probably slept 10 hours. How do you handle that? Because it terrifies me. Uh, I, I keep yeah. considering things like this and then being like, mm, no. It's a lot easier on your own than when you're in a team. Because when you're in a team, it's, you know, you don't want to, well, especially a competitive team. I guess like a, a team that's just like doing it for fun. Everyone be like, are you tired? Yeah, I'm tired. Let's have that. Whereas like if you're trying to race for the win, you don't want to be that guy who's like, I'm exhausted. Everyone else feels good. Um, so I'll just like keep pushing. But okay. that's really hard. Like that, those moments when you're, when your body's like, I need sleep now and you know, everyone else is fine. Um, and you just are pushing. That's like, I guess one of the mentally like hardest, um, things I've had to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you're on your own, it's pretty, it's a lot easier because like you always have the option of sleeping, um, kind of whenever you want, unless you're in like an emergency situation. Um, so I, and, and I then, did a ride. Did you sleep? I know you guys got a cabin, uh, I see you guys because you were with another guy for some yeah. of the race. Uh, you guys finished pretty much together, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you got a cabin, but did you do any of this like pull over on the side of the tundra and sleep in a, a baby sack no. or anything? No, the guy who finished third had to do that like 10 kilometers from the end of the race because oh, he was no. just, he was so shattered. Uh, and he slept like in the middle of a river which is like the worst place to sleep. Cause there's like, it's like the coldest spot and there's like, you're like totally exposed and stuff like yeah. that. So that was pretty funny, but we had like, I had a, um, like a big sleeping bag and a bivy and all that stuff like strapped mm. to the back of my bike. And I just never used it, which in hindsight was like so frustrating. I'm like, I didn't have to bring this, like this giant yeah. bedroll, but, um, yeah. I so a, I have a client. Just, I know up there, there's a lot like you have to have, like they do, they do hundred mile races that, you know, they don't intend to sleep, but they have to have sleeping stuff and I, I, like right. a bunch of safety stuff. Mandatory gear. Yeah. 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 So the Iditarod's kind of unique because it's an invitational, you have to qualify for it. And so there's actually no mandatory gear. So you can, so people like a lot of people who have won the race in the past who are like experienced, they'll like check the weather forecast and like do a lot of research on trail conditions. And if things seem good, they will just not bring any, any sleep wow. gear and just kind of send it. Um, which everyone was like, don't do that the first time you do it. But <laughs> was this a record or, or what was the time? Like, I know the weather was sort of dicey up there. Yeah, um, no, it wasn't a record. The record okay. I think is like one day, 18 hours and that was it's so conditions dependent like we probably had to walk for six or eight hours of the race um so like it's just it was fast going at times but it was also like not um yeah a moose had like a moose and her uh calves had like torn up the trail pretty bad at one point oh, and we yeah. had to like <laughs> it's like it would have been probably rideable but it was just like these holes that were like four feet deep and they just um, followed the trail. Having... Yeah, they followed the trail for over 10 kilometers. So uh, that kind of sucked. I was like imagining all the different ways. I was like, in my mind, I was like a moose hunter. And I was like, <laughs> I was, like stupid moose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, okay. um, but yeah, it wasn't a course record. I guess the year that the course record happened, 
it was like a sidewalk the whole way. It was just like rock hard, super fast conditions. And they just cruised, you know, 20 plus kilometers an hour the whole way. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Hmm. it's kind of like a course record is like very, very, very uh, conditions dependent. Sure. Okay. Uh, What did you eat? I know it's sometimes hard to pull stuff out and stuff gets frozen. Like what was the main fuel for, for this, uh, what is this two days, eight hours? So <laughs> what did you eat for yeah. two days and eight hours while you pedaled your bike? Yeah. I mean, I had a, a few, uh, peanut butter and honey or jam sandwiches in there on white bread. And then, um, a lot of, I think I was having scratch labs, their stuff, um, like the high calorie drink mix whenever I could like mix okay. a bottle of that. Um, just cause it's like easy a lot of calories um but then just like a lot of sports nutrition and just like gummies and i didn't have that many soup at a couple places and yeah once you could get in there was some some heated food which is always nice yeah yeah so the way the race works is there's like these checkpoints that you have to go to but then you actually don't have to follow any route to get to the checkpoints but um Hmm. after like the first 70 or 80k there is kind of mostly just one route there's like, there'll be like little options that you could like take instead, maybe. Um, but you don't really know. Could be like a hunter just like went off into the woods that way. And you're like, Ooh, that's like the right direction. But then he just like stopped and like turned around. So, uh, you mostly just follow the Iditarod, like the historic Iditarod trail. And is um, that on like a Garmin E-Trex or like, what are you navigating with? <clears throat> yeah. I used an E-Trex. Um, basically everybody does because they have the replaceable batteries and so you can just keep them going. Um, yeah and so you're just navigating checkpoint to checkpoint and in the checkpoints some of them are just like you know an empty little cabin some of them are people's homes that you go in and you know you can like buy a coke or something off them um some of them are like staffed um checkpoints where they'll have like a you know a burrito or something you can grab when Um, you're riding i know one of the things this is you know often questions around fat biking and winter training and stuff is you know where is the water so that this is what was the you probably said negative 30 celsius so how does the water not freeze how do you get it in your mouth while you're riding a lot of people use camelbacks just like under their jackets uh which i thought the idea of wearing a camelback for two to five days was just an awful idea because they're just so sweaty and awkward. Mm. So I actually sewed like these pockets on the inside of my, I had like a wool shirt that I wore the whole time. And I sewed pockets, like these three kind of vertical pockets that mm-hmm. were about the size of uh, a bottle. And I just, um, I would just put two soft flasks in there and then just a ton of food into the middle one. And that was like right against my body the whole mm. time. So that like just stayed like the perfect temperature never froze and I would just drink that stuff okay so in this I, I'm pulling up a photo I'll try and link to it so in this is like a yellow jacket you were wearing you're saying that there's just in the front of your jacket you just had three three big tubes yeah of... in my base layer actually like oh, okay. right against my body yeah um cool. I just like I cut an old uh, jersey apart and just sewed like the pockets from the back like into the inside and uh that worked great it was funny because the guy who I was riding with had done the exact same thing um and like we independently like did this both on our own so it seems like a good solution okay well there you go (laughs) be creative and and do that up yeah now not far the the preparation for this were you not you were in abu dhabi for an obstacle course race not far before this 
which is yeah. not near that in terms of temperature or in terms of you know geographical location so yeah <laughs> that was what was that race that was like obstacle course world championships or what was that yeah that was a spartan race world champs um that was beginning of december in abu dhabi <laughs> um yeah so to get ready for that race uh, i did a lot of kind of like heat training here just from like from my house we've got a sauna and we've got a treadmill and things like that so i would do um i would do workouts on the treadmill and then i would uh like with no fan or anything with the, you know without the door open and then i would jump right in the sauna after for like half an hour and that seemed to prepare me really well for abu dhabi um then yeah once i got back from that it was like shift gears and uh and make the most of every cold day so whenever it was below minus 10 i would try to get out for you know a three to seven hour kind of fat bike ride just like just yeah just go out and ride easy and just spend time on the bike getting used to the position getting used to the gear um, I was going like to say that. a lot of so, it's probably position and gear testing as much as any sort of fitness. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I was racing the, uh, I did like a Zwift league, the, I don't know if you know Zwift at all, but sure. I did like the pr- premier league, um, with like a group of guys with like, uh, like Jeff Kabush is on our team and like Ted King and, um, all these guys. So like I did, I did that this year. So that was like a lot of good intensity work and then just like easy rides on the on the fat bike and cool, a lot of skiing. A cool balance yeah it's often people are one <laughs> way or the other and i try and push that there's probably a balance in the middle where it's as you say you get a bit of quality and intensity on the trainer and yeah then get inside and see the sun totally yeah it's kind of interesting because i think that there's been a shift in there used to be like this like you know lots of long slow distance in like the off season and stuff and correct me if i'm wrong but i think there has been a shift in like maintaining some intensity like throughout um throughout your off season or your base building season which i've always found like works well for me i guess Um, Mm -hmm. keeps it more interesting and you're in a tricky (laughs) spot which i mean we can even transition to talking about that like the durations you race are so varied. Do you think of yourself more as an endurance racer or, or as like a 10 K, you know, obstacle course, super high intensity racer? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just, I guess I'm, I definitely don't think of myself as like a short course person. Um, even though I did win like OCR world champs 3k like five years ago or something. Um, yeah, definitely when stuff gets longer, I seem to like get better that makes mm-hmm. sense and um yeah like my power profile is like very kind of flat <laughs> okay. not a lot of well not a lot of sprint but uh yeah I mean endurance like long endurance stuff I think is like as much mental as it is physical and so I, I really enjoy that aspect of it but also like the training for it is I do a lot more like shorter training I don't I don't do a lot of like 24 hour or 12 hour like the guy who I who I finished with Tyson, um, he did a 24 hour training ride, like two weeks before the Iditarod where he just like loaded his bike up and just went out for 24 hours. And that's like something I would, I just never do. Um, it just seems like, (laughs) it seems like the recovery from that is like not worth it. So, yeah. uh, Yeah. And then I always try and push back like, well, what if you did, you know, three days in a row that were five hours or something? Totally. Uh, Not that you wouldn't, you know, you should test your gear at night. You should see how your lights work and that sort of stuff. But yeah, it's the risk is so high. Yeah. 
yeah so I mean I don't know if I answered your question but um yeah I guess I just see myself as an athlete that uh, just do the events that um interest me and try to adapt my training and my preparation for those events um I think it's a good takeaway you know I, I try and push it so it's all my bias always but um <laughs> you know that say 10k whatever duration say a half hour 30 minutes right. 20 minutes whatever like it's pretty aerobic so I mean the aerobic system extends and so it's it's a good I think you're a right. good testament that you know as you say the intensity quality you do some longer stuff <laughs> but long not isn't isn't super long but then you can keep going as long as you pace and fuel and keep your mm-hmm. your, your mental as you say is probably the big thing yeah totally yeah <laughs> hmm. it is interesting that the two of you though you know to say that there's many ways to do something this other guy did 24 hour yeah. run. he was right with you right and... yeah it's interesting too because tyson he was like a a nordic skier who was like trying to make the olympic team for the u.s um so he obviously has like a very, or had, or has a very developed, like high-end aerobic capacity. Mm. And then, and then here we are both, you know, probably sitting at like, you know, recovery pace for two days, but like riding at the same pace. So it's like, it's very indicative that like, yeah, I guess even for like, if you want to succeed in ultra stuff that you need to have that, um, that upper end, upper high-end to a certain degree Mm -hmm. um developed yeah yeah it's not just one or the other yeah yeah Yeah. i always find too it's sometimes i don't know if you find this but obstacle course you know course racing would be a good example but even the fat biking would be if you're if you can go at the 10k pace the super hard pace the threshold Mm -hmm. pace everything else is slow motion totally and when you're used to you know doing monkey bars well you know at your max heart rate all of a sudden just fat biking across tundra (laughs) yeah it's not happening so fast (laughs) yeah it's kind of interesting because i think that that you say like the 10k like aerobic side of things because i think that when i was when i was mountain bike racing i didn't realize how well i didn't like understand myself as an athlete i guess very well but also and then i kind of switched to obstacle racing and running whereas like so in cycling you have these giant peaks of power right you can go up to seven or eight hundred watts like several times in a race um or like over and over and over again and whereas like running events if you like compared the power demands like you never really go that high over over your threshold power because like you always are running you're never coasting you're never like getting that like not complete recovery but like the same kind of recovery as you do in cycling so i think that yeah, the like the 10k analogy fitness requirement is like is very apt um, for obstacle racing and for um, hmm. and for running. Whereas like and obviously for like time trialing or something like that. But as soon as you're introducing like sprints or these short little 30 second climbs, it like it's different, and that's like a different requirement. Hmm. Well, and then I guess in obstacle course racing, you'd have things like burpees or pull-ups right. or things that are throwing the, I guess, the lactate or the high intensity into it, right? Yeah. 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 And the thing with like running and OCR is like, there's not really a drafting effect. So if someone decides they want to go like 
into their VO2 max or above like effort, they're just going to come back later unless they're like a way stronger athlete. And then like for them, they probably win anyways. Whereas mm-hmm. like in cycling, if someone makes an attack and like, that's the group you have to go with them or else right. you're going to like not be in like the winning group or whatever. Sure. So sure. You got a cider. Yeah. Hmm. How do you find, you know, we talked a little bit to start about the, you know, you're a beginner versus once you've done it a lot. And I know now you have your no excuses coaching, Knox coaching will link to this mm-hmm. as well. And you guys, I think I've done a few clinics and different things, you know, more on the yeah. technical side of the sport. How are you going about presenting that to people, you know, who are first timers newer to obstacle course racing? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess this is a good time to talk about it. Basically um, when I was trying to develop Knox, I was thinking like, I wanted to reach a lot of people, but I also didn't want to spend a lot of my own time, like coaching people one-on-one. I have a few athletes that I'm coaching one-on-one, but, um, I really wanted them to be like the right athletes and like at the right, like points in their career where I could like make a difference. So I kind of thought back, like if I was in their position, you know, not wanting to spend too much money, but also wanting to like you know, forward my athletic career. I was like, what would have benefited me the most at that time? And I was like, okay, I think it would have benefited me the most to like learn a bunch of like different ways of like training, learn a bunch of the theory behind why I'm doing what I'm doing. And then I was like, if you kind of give everybody a similar program, as long as they're not like doing too much, like most people are going to improve, especially like in the kind of intermediate like range it's like you know a few hard days a week uh, working on a few different systems you know some rest days some mobility some basic strength and so I did I was like okay great so we found this uh online platform called circle and it's kind of like a it's very analogous to um Facebook where there's like groups and then there's um different kind of spaces where you can do things so every week I post three different weeks of training and then people who are members um they can choose it's like one week is usually about like 12 or 13 hours one week is like 10 10 hours one week is like six hours and they all kind of scale back in terms of like intensity um you know one week will be have uh eight intervals the next will have six and the third will have four and so people can kind of go in and choose and then um within the space i'm like always on there to answer questions, um, post workouts. And then I'm also posting like, Oh, here's this new workout that we're doing. Why are we doing it? Here's the reason this is like the system it's going to benefit. This is like how to do it. Or if I'm posting like a mobility session, then I'll go there and I can say like, this is what I do. Um, always with the caveat of like, I'm not a physio. You should like, (laughs) if you're actually injured, you should, you should go see someone else. But, um, but yeah, so the, the intention is to kind of, it's kind of kind of counterintuitive, I guess, because I'm like designing a program that ultimately makes what I do obsolete. Cause like, if I do it right, then I want the athletes to be able to like say like, Oh, I don't need Ryan anymore. Now I can kind of do this myself. Right. And, um, I just want to give the people the tools they cool. need to do that and also create like an environment, um, that's conducive to, I guess, people improving and like maintaining stoke so like the other week someone went on there and um was asking questions about 
you know, how to improve their spear throw. And then like some other members came on and answered and like, I came on and answered with like my take and um, mm. things like that. So, yeah, I like that's it. what yeah, I'm that's These community things are sort of cool now that are popping up and, and that's exactly it, right? Someone has a question and then it's not just the, the all knowing coach, yeah. right? It's all these other right. people that maybe have even better perspective because maybe they're the same age or experience totally. level or, or, or yeah. just our professional spear throwers in their spare time yeah. as well. Yeah, you they get, you get... used to throw javelin in high school or something and they have yeah. like a different idea. And I'm like, the, oh yeah, that is way better than what I do. Yeah, the wisdom <laughs> of the crowd, right? Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, so I guess to push on this a little bit, the if, if someone's trying to get in, they're a runner already, they're getting into obstacle course racing, like is there, you know, whether it's at some of the clinics you've done or, or in the group, is there, you know, what would a workout be if someone was more, you know, on the technical side of obstacle course racing? Is there, you know, you said yeah. pull-ups, is it mainly pull-ups and, and hanging or is there something else, you know, is there yes. a sample, even a sample workout? Yeah. So I do a lot of um, kind of like workouts that are um, transitional or I'll do um, kind of like workouts where there'll be uh, a grip strength element, um, before your run workout, uh, just things that are kind of like, I guess, mixing it up. Um, but yeah, I realize that also that a lot of people have different, um, equipment available to them. So I try to make things, um, fairly loose in terms of like what they have access to, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of like running and then transitioning to, like I did a workout where it was like, I forget what it was, but I think it was like four minutes of, um, running followed by, and then it was like, there was like three different exercises and the running was all done at like, kind of like a tempo pace. So like not too hard, but then some of the exercises were like pull-ups. One of the exercises was, uh, like, like jump lunges, um, and then one of the exercises was burpees. And so it was like, it was like a fairly long workout. It was like about an hour in total. And that was like one of the harder workouts that week, but it was kind of like, um, just working on that, not too hard of intervals, but switching it up between exercise modalities and then like getting back into it. Um, sure. things like yeah, that. that makes sense. Yeah. It's reminiscent of like a CrossFit, I guess, not to pigeonhole but yeah. maybe even getting longer and maybe pulling back the intensity a bit is what it sounds like to me and yeah for, totally. for this workout at least yeah 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 and that would totally. be it would that hour that's about like what a 10k obstacle course race would take a lot of people would be about an hour or something like that like your yeah. standard yeah. like if i if yeah, i just totally. go to a local obstacle course race and jump in is that that's essentially where that's targeted yeah at? yeah the sprints now are 5k the supers are 10 and the beasts are 21 um and then if you're doing like a mountainous beast it could be three or four hours but if you're doing like a flat super then yeah the average person would probably be around an hour okay yeah. i uh you know one thing you you got the killarney we, we love the killarney loop and then you got <laughs> you got the fkt was it last year or two years ago two years ago probably yeah i think two years ago now yeah and that I, I was, I thought I should have given you more show because you've tried that or you tried it previously. What do you think? Five, six times. Yeah. I've heard it a bunch of times and didn't I get did it. it. And I ways. think I was like, I should have, <laughs> and I apologize for not reaching. Cause I was so impressed. Not, you know, the time was impressive. You did it. It was great. But I think that was like, I was like, he tried that a lot of times and kept coming back. <laughs> right. And it's, so when yeah. it's just like, Oh, Ryan did, I did a rod like way to go. Right. Right. Impressive. 
but I think it's almost more impressive to me when it's like, no, you didn't get it. And then you had to learn and try and keep, you could have just been like, ah, that's dumb. Stupid Northern Ontario. Yeah. Um, So what do you think, what clicked? Was it just luck or was there anything you learned uh, as far as, you know, this is a running 50 mile sort of backcountry self-supported FKT you did. You're pretty far out there. Like what, what changed on that fifth or sixth time? So many things. I think, I think it's as much as what changed as equally as like, just making awful like mistakes and stuff before. Um, like one time when I ran it, I think like the second time I ran it, uh, I had like this old crappy Garmin and it died like seven hours in. And I think I like, I think I like got back to the car and looked at the time. And I think I was like right around what the record was. And, but I was like, Oh, I can't like submit that because like, um, what am I going to do? Take a picture of my like car radio time right. and say like you know so Bomber. i didn't do it that time and then one time i got heat stroke on it um because it i don't know a lot of people will get caught off guard by how hot it can be out there and like you're out there and like the white quartz is like reflecting the heat into your face it's almost like snow blindness yeah so i got pretty bad heat stroke on it once and then another time i think i just like had my splits wrong and I was like, Oh yeah, I'm crushing this. And then, and then like that, that, that last like 10 K just went on forever. And then I missed it by like a minute. So yeah. Yeah. Lots of like stupid little things that just finally kind of like clicked, I guess. Um, well, and so much, yeah, and I, 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 sorry, the, the, so much of this ultra endurance they say is, is experience, right? Like how you put a percentage on, I don't know. Right. But they say like, totally. when you look at the results, of people there's like fitness and you need to have fitness to be in the game like you can't be you know you can't just be like i'm experienced but it's so and and you're accumulating experience like you you know even just talking about the iditarod you're like well i use an e-trex all the time for navigation because the battery lasts and it's like well half of that learning probably came from screwing up learning yeah totally or the camelback you hate camelbacks on your back they get sweaty or something right like it's yeah so it's it's interesting that as you say it was maybe not any magical thing you did different aside from you've done a lot of stuff in the five years yeah. since yeah no doubt um i think it's just like such a fun trail and like such a great experience that uh i'm really glad that i like didn't get it like true what else would you do it's yeah. Like, yeah it's like it's fun going there and doing it and like we would often like tie it into like a trip like say Camp if we were going to yeah or going to someone we have friends um up in perry sound so like it makes sense to drive like and do a bit of a northern detour and like run the trail on the way kind of thing so hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah alexi pappas do you know alexi pappas she's like a runner marathon runner um, okay yeah i think so she says something to that effect like if i got all my goals today what would i do tomorrow and i think it's right. you know sometimes hard to tell yourself that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah for sure okay cool we covered a lot here i think that was most of the i guess the only if you had maybe this is relevant maybe in your group it's come up the one quick hit i had that we haven't covered was you know no pull-ups to pull-ups and it's sometimes hard asking people who are pretty good at pull-ups or pretty good at anything how you get how you go from zero to one have you had any experience with that you know how do you have you answered that question totally yeah um i mean banded pull-ups can be really good to like reduce your body weight and so like those those thick they're not that wide but they're like super thick i think they're they, you know, the green ones or mm-hmm. is the one i have where you like you girth hitch it around the bar and then you just stick it um in your knee 
like in one of your, like bend your leg, put it over your knee. And then that can take a bunch of weight off of your body um, to practice pull-ups. But then the other thing that helps a lot is like negatives. So you like put a chair under the pull-up bar and you like basically just like grab on and like lower yourself and thing like that. And that can be good for like developing like um, the reps. You can also just like uh, have a low pull-up bar and like have one foot on the ground or like angle your body almost like a TRX to kind of like do that pull-up progression. And it's like anything, it's like a progression once you can do um, 10 or 15 of like one type of assisted pull-up, you can like go on to the next one um, Mm -hmm. and things like that. But yeah, it's just uh, yeah, finding ways of reducing that body weight until you can like do your full body weight. And then the other thing I would like recommend if someone's trying to like get, you know, better at doing pull-ups is to like vary your hand position. Um, so, cause if you just are always doing whatever, the same grip, the same wood and stuff, you're like, you're definitely developing a lot of the right musculature, but then you might develop imbalances or, um, so if you like spend a bit more time working on different widths of grip, different types of grip, uh, things like that. Then like, once you are able to do pull-ups, you'll be able to do a wide variety of pull-ups in a lot of different like, um, planes and ranges of motion. And that's, I like that, especially if you're thinking obstacle course racing where, you know, you, it's always going to be variable, right? You always right. want it to be different. Yeah. Um, yeah. no, I like totally. that. That's good. And I don't know if you meant it, but I guess I do it a little bit. Like we have a door hang, like a door pull-up bar. So I guess that's mm-hmm. pretty low. Um, but yeah. even just that, like, that's like a range of motion, right? You could actually just do pull-ups, yeah. you know, from almost 90, you know, yeah, just sort of totally. pulling from there. And I guess that would be another option I hadn't thought about, but I guess experience is ultimately, you know, trying to figure out yeah. ways you can practice it a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, negatives there's no way around. Or lock-offs where you're just like holding yourself. I'm just going to hold myself here for five seconds and then like release. Um, I did a program. I, I can do pull-ups, but I, again, I'm not amazing. Uh, you know, maybe a, I could do sets of five, say, so like three sets of five nice. or something like that. And that'd be a yeah, good yeah. workout for me. And sometimes it, depending on the time of year, I can like even add a bit of weight to that or something too. But I was like, okay, I want to get, so I can do six, seven, eight. And I actually went, the one program I was doing, it was straight arm hanging and then nine for a month, a whole month of just straight arm hanging for time. So three by yeah. a minute, three by 75, three by, and then the second month was 90 degree hanging. And I was like, this yeah. is so much time because there was no other pulling. <laughs> like there was That's yeah, awesome. no other pull-ups. Yeah. And then boom, after that, I, I did yeah. I was doing seven and eights. And I was I yeah. couldn't believe it. I didn't do like, one pull wow. up for two months. Yeah. <laughs> just hanging. So yeah. there's probably a lot of grip strength with that, I would think. Cause I got you to where I was hanging for like sets of 90 seconds, two minutes. Right. So it's totally there's a lot of muscle yeah. that's used. Yeah, just hanging from a bar is like awesome um or i'll do like sometimes where you're like you're hanging like this but then you're like switching your grip and that kind of like is if you don't have monkey bars that's good practice of just like Mm -hmm. engaging that different um i always think about you and i don't know if you do this that often but for some reason i think about you and i try and do this i'm not gonna say i do it but you actually like touch i think you touch your knee or something so you're holding the bar you're hanging and then you take one hand off and like touch your hip or whatever yeah yeah and and switch (laughs) Yeah, and like totally. I rock same idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's so and that's really good, like core work too. I'm finding like most of my strength workouts that I do now or that I program are um, just like a little bit lower weight, but always like always like one sided. So you're mm-hmm. like 
doing a lot of core engagements instead of like doing, you know, two two weights overhead, uh, just do like one heavier weight. So you're kind of having to like use that stabilization. And I think that really helps with, well, all sorts, all sorts of athletics, but like with OCR a lot too, because like you need that kind of dexterity and that rotational um, strength. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And and sometimes that's helpful for people. They might not have two of the same weights. So sometimes it's, you know, Oh, I'd never use that, but it's like, Oh no, you definitely use two different weights. And then you have, yeah, yeah. Right. Whatever you're doing. Yeah. That's a Mm. great point. You could do like a 30 in one hand and like a 10 in the other and then like switch. Yeah. And you could carry or press or, or whatever. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's cool. That's what a year so far. You're not even into the year. (laughs) <laughs> like you've already oh, man. such an adventure. Yeah, what, is, what is next? Where can what like, is the next adventure? Is, is, <laughs> is the summer full or what are you up to? Yeah, so I'm uh next next uh Thursday I'm going to Switzerland. Um I'm doing the PDG, which is a like a long distance schemo race um in the Swiss Alps along the border there. It's actually a really cool race. It was like developed in World War II to kind of like train their um border patrol people. Uh, so I'm doing that and then I'm coming back and then I'm basically doing, I mean, I have to look at my calendar to see all these things, but I've got like a Spartan race in, uh, in big bear. And then I'm doing rule of three, the gravel race and unbound, um, which would be really fun. And then, uh, a Mexico Spartan race, um, some sky races. I'm doing meet the Minotaur, which is out in Crow's Nest pass. Um, so yeah, lots of like gravel and mountain biking and then um yeah a few running races as well i, I think i'm going to race leadville this summer uh cool. probably definitely the bike i don't probably the run too which i think it'll just be like super really fun challenge it's to kind of like big week do them back to back yeah yeah because they are still yeah. the the two weekends back to back right yeah yeah and the bike is first which has always like treated me pretty well um whenever i've done like really long Whenever I felt like my best in like long running events, uh, I usually do like something really long and hard about like seven to 10 days before. And it's almost like this like super compensation effect. So I think it'll actually like be better for me to have it that way, but we'll see. (laughs) Good luck in those. Good luck in those. Yeah. Yeah. Tough events. Yeah. A lot of fun stuff. It's kind of like where it's kind of like what the idea around. I'm like, ah, life's too short not to do all these like, cool fun things and stuff and Lindsay was saying like this the other day she's like I've accomplished like everything I want to in obstacle racing and I'm like hmm, I guess like yeah and so she's kind of like doing more sky racing this year and oh, cool. um, more cycling and stuff and I like I don't know if I've necessarily said I've accomplished everything I want to but um of the same vein I'm like yeah like I don't really need to like win another um you know, North American series or anything. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll do the races and I'll like do my best. But if I'm, if I'm like 3% off my like potential, but it means I get to like go do that Leadville double and like go and uh, do stage race or um, have better longevity or just more stoke, uh, then I would kind of rather that at this stage. I mean, that's inspiring for sure. I wish I had that. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll keep trying to have that inspiration to go do other stuff for sure. But it's, that's really with the whole consummate athlete idea with that was our, our idea, right? Was that like, you could be fit and then you mm-hmm. could go in different directions and find different communities and visit different yeah, areas yeah, yeah. and different perspective on the you know same areas. Totally. So you're, you're yeah. living the dream. 
Yeah, that's what like the training for Knox kind of has en- is because like that's what my training is. So it's like they they actually do a fair bit of cycling and like cross training uh, as well as the running and the OCR specific stuff in like in the goal of having people um, be able to like yeah jump into whatever they want to do if they want to try an Ironman um, in a month from now. Then hopefully they're like at this like launching off point where they only need to do a little bit of specific training to get there. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I could talk, <laughs> I have like five different things I want to go, but I want to be respectful. So let's uh, say we'll do, a, we'll do a part two, maybe post Leadville. Uh, and then we'll be able to talk about Unbound and Leadville uh, and really yeah. keep it on bike stuff and bring it all back to that. Um, but that's, good. that's so good. Some really good ones there, Ryan. Thank you for taking the time and yeah, best of luck cheers. in Switzerland. Good to see you, Peter. Cheers. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox.